In October, I graciously informed you that I had married my cousin. And Ruth Dill continues to ask me how my marriage with my cousin is going. Of course, you know I didn't actually marry my cousin. I officiated his wedding near Washington, D.C. The couple requested a homily. And our passage this morning is the very passage I preached. It was during their ceremony that I explained how the wine was symbolic for joy and happiness. I talked about how Jesus turned an ordinary celebration into an extraordinary one. And as I was talking, I began to see the guests getting really excited. Then I quickly realized it was not the preaching, it was all the talk about the wine. I also explained to them how because of their love, all who were present were privy to a taste of new possibilities. So here we are on the second Sunday after the Epiphany where the evangelist John invites us into a wedding feast about eight to ten miles north of Nazareth, where we too are privy to the taste of new possibilities. The wedding in Cana, which appears only in the Gospel of John, is a celebration of a marriage, as well as the joining of family, friends, and community. This morning, we find ourselves in the midst of this celebration as well as an uncomfortable dilemma. The setting of our passage is one of joy and abundance, where Jesus, his disciples, his mother, and brothers have intentionally gathered together with other guests to celebrate life and the joy of new beginnings. See, this narrative sets the stage for a serious conversation between a mother and her son. It is a dialogue surrounding a potential social embarrassment, most likely where anxiety and human emotions are running high, leading the mother of Jesus to seek divine intervention with four words. They have... No wine. The text is silent regarding why Jesus' mother would care that much about wine running out. Some scholars believe it was a family member's wedding and she was intervening to avoid the social stigma that comes with not having enough. See, in the biblical tradition, wine is a rich symbol of prosperity, abundance, joy, and good times. This is the very space in which heaven and earth are joined. But for some of us, myself included, it's hard to imagine in the midst of extravagance and abundance, 
where poverty and injustice is abound, where people suffer from disease and hunger, that Jesus' first public miracle would be turning water into wine. That just doesn't make sense. But see, this passage is, is both a sign and a miracle, a sign of the joyful arrival of God's new age and a miracle for those in the moment. As witnesses, the disciples and the servants would see and believe and be reminded of God's promise in Amos chapter 9, verse 14, where the Lord God says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild and renew cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. For the disciples, Jesus revealed his glory through this miracle, and they believed in him. But I have to admit, for many years I had problems reconciling this passage because it stirred up more questions than answers. When my mother was alive and I lived in Atlanta and my daughter was all of four years old, we would serve every third week with my parents in a church where the ministry was focused on those who had no wine. Pastor Chain, a very successful African-American chemist and businessman, took the profits from his company to purchase an old warehouse, utilized it as a workspace until 5 o'clock, and at 5.01, he and his wife, Virginia, locked the doors on one side and opened them on the other, where they offered food, grace, shelter, and love to a marginalized population. Some were addicts, desperately trying to get clean. Others were trying to reconcile their home life. Some had HIV. Some were mentally ill, but all were challenged in ways that many of us could ever imagine. It is in this space where I witness heaven meet earth. Because the miracle of turning water into wine is secondary to the sign and the knowledge that someone greater is yet to come, particularly when one is on the outside looking in. See, I want you to understand that there are copious details in this passage that should not be missed. The amount of space in the story used to describe the number of jars, their composition, their purpose, their size, who was present, allows us to focus on Jesus and the intentionality behind the sign instead of just the miracle. In these 11 verses, verse 9 stands out more to me than all the others. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servant who had drawn the water knew, 
the steward called the bridegroom. So let us pause right here for a moment. The stewards tasted the wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, there is an assumption that the disciples are the witness to this miracle. When the text tells us Jesus revealed his glory and the disciples believe him, but the servants, the marginalized, the ones on the outskirts, the ones who had drawn the water were the ones who first witnessed the transformation of this water to wine. The wedding at Cana is a celebration of all people. The servant who is working without pay. The wedding at Cana is a celebration of all people. The addict, the guest who drinks way too much at a wedding, the affluent the socially embarrassed, the suffering, the grieving, the unmarried, the divorced, those struggling in their faith, and those who do not believe the wedding at Cana is a celebration for all people. I know Jesus changing water into wine these days is far-fetched, I know because many a days I've had a cup of water and I've asked him to change it to coffee and it has yet to happen, but I'm still hoping. See, heaven meets earth when we least expect it. Heaven meets earth when Jesus' mother and a pastor chain nudge the divine and says they have no wine. See, heaven meets earth when we look around in the midst of celebrating life, in the midst of celebrating and worship, in the midst of celebrating family, friends, and connection, that we nudge the divine and say, they have no wine. See, when we nudge the divine, grace opens our hearts. To be used as a servant, to be used as a jar, to be used as a vessel, as the one who provides the wine and points to the living water, Jesus Christ. See, the witness of the marginalized is a long thread throughout the gospel. And through our abundance, we prod God to use us in a way so that we are full of divine compassion and divine generosity because like the wedding at Cana, we are called to celebrate all people. This passage brings each of us vitality and the taste of new possibilities. God's grace fills an empty cup, and we are called to be those vessels to fill those cups of those around us. John uses the term sign 
to refer to Jesus' miracles. Because for John and for us, the significance of the miracle does not rest solely in the act of the miracle itself, but to whom the miracle points. See, today we are being challenged about what is possible. We are being challenged about where God is found. We are being challenged about how God is known to all. But when you're willing to look with grace-filled eyes, you nudge the divine, and you ask, and you say, Lord, they have no wine. They have no support. They have no parents. They have no justice. They have no security. They have no one but you and me and Christ. This is the unprecedented grace of Jesus where we can see in spaces where they have no wine, where we taste new possibilities, and where heaven and earth are joined. God's glory is revealed in this passage in calling us to see where there is no wine and calling us as God's children to be those vessels to fill those empty cups. Lord, they have no wine. Use us to make a difference in our world. This is where heaven and earth are joined. They have no wine, but through God's grace, we will fill those cups. The word of God for the people of God Thanks be to God. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for this moment. For you are calling us to go deeper in all that we do. Continue to use us for your glory. We honor and praise your holy name. In Christ's name we do pray. And all of the church said, Amen.